On the Clinical Consult, I'm back today with Dr. Samuel Lusgarden, who joined us previously for a preliminary discussion about telepsychology. And today we'll take a deeper dive on that topic with a focus on the do's and don'ts of providing clinical services via electronic mediums, things like video or audio streaming or text messaging. But, but for context, I'll remind our, our listeners quickly that Dr. Lusgarden is currently a postdoctoral resident at the University of Wisconsin-Madison University Health Services with particular interests, publications, and presentations in the telepsychology realm. So Sam, uh, welcome back to the program. Great to be here. Thanks for having me back. Sam, so despite your best efforts, you're back here on the show with me today to talk more telepsych. But specifically, as I mentioned, our focus today will be on the do's and don'ts of providing clinical services via these electronic mediums. And I'll, I'll go let you parse apart exactly what I mean by that. But to start, I do want to paint a hypothetical picture scenario for you. Well, let's say I'm a, a mental health clinician, a psychologist, social worker, an LMHC, and I'd like to expand my repertoire, so to say, and start offering services via some kind of electronic interface, like I mentioned, video streaming, text messaging, or otherwise. For starters, Sam, what are some things that, that I should not be doing in, in this scenario as a, as a mental health clinician? Right. So this, this is a really important question that it's good to be asking before you've even engaged in the technology that you're thinking about. So you listed off a few different types of what is called, you know, telepsychology or telemental health therapy, things that involve video streaming, text messaging, even phone calls. So some don'ts that I think would be really important for us to consider would be that, you know, you're avoiding communicating with clients over unencrypted means or mediums. The big example that I can pull from, so those iPhone users out there, you've probably noticed a difference between the bubbles that are green and the ones that are like a light blue. Those represent texts either between Android and iPhone users, respectively. So the green ones are the Android and the blue ones are iPhone to iPhone. And the difference is more than just color or brand name. It also represents the actual technology that is being used to communicate that text message. The cell phone providers transfer text messages that are green to and from the sender and recipient. The blue ones are actually transferred by Apple's iCloud technology. The difference is not just in brand names, though. It's actually all the way down to the protection that is granted that message. When a message is transferred in an unencrypted means, not just by text messages, it could be emails, it could be video conferencing, that potentially leaves it open to hackers or uh, third parties of any kind that may want access to that information. When I think about us as mental health providers, as health service psychologists, I think it's important to consider the fact that our work is very private and sensitive. And 
potentially using unencrypted means might mean that that information is accessible to others. Now, some simple fixes could be things like Gmail, where you can um, encrypt in transit. It's all done behind the scenes. That prevents some sort of third party from gaining access to that private communication and helps us stay HIPAA compliant. Another don't though that I think is really important to think about is to, to not go ahead and say, we're gonna try and then see how this goes. And, and what I mean by that is not to just say, hey, this technology looks really cool. I'm gonna try it out in clinical practice and see how it works. I think it's really, really important that as psychologists and as providers, we are critical consumers, not just on behalf of ourselves and our risk management, but on behalf of our clients and their privacy and confidentiality. I'm going to jump in really quick. So I'm that point of making sure you're researching the technology that you're using being, being vital, but I do want to circle back to Gmail. Uh, I, I'm a user of Gmail. A lot of folks are users of Gmail and one kind of alarm bell that rang off in, inside my brain when you were talking and I was like, Oh my gosh, am I not, is it okay for me to be using Gmail? And well, what do I need to be considering when I'm using Gmail or, or, or other email services with clients with regards to what you were saying about encryption? That sounded like an important word. Tell me what you mean by that. Yeah, the, the simple way of putting it is that encryption is a way of taking, let's say a sentence that I wrote and using a mathematical algorithm to essentially make it unreadable to an unintended third party. It's only going to be the person with a key, it could be myself or someone I intend to receive or read this message, who would be able to open up that message. Yeah, when it comes to encryption, Google's services are some of the most secure of any of the technology providers that we might list off today. Um, they have huge compliance offices and standards and accreditation, like many other companies. And the importance that I think hopefully uh, you're, you're illuminating there is that there is a personal Gmail that the vast majority of users use. And there's a corporate or business Google, which is called G Suite, and that includes an email service as well. This distinction though is just the first layer. So to use a personal Gmail account is not wrong when you're dealing with personal matters. And even when you're working with people who are not your clients yet, but could be potentially your clients in the future, that's okay. Again, because you're not following HIPAA at that point. It's when you start working with someone on a professional level that we need to remain HIPAA compliant. And that's when we need to think about actually going beyond the personal services. And that, that goes for any provider, whether that be Microsoft, Google, Skype. We have to go beyond the, the free and personal grade versions. So G Suite is one example of that. And within G Suite, you can sign what is called a business associate agreement, a BAA. And what that does is it creates a commitment between you and the company, Google in this case, and your commitment is that we're going to work together, you as a third party and me as a provider, to protect our clients' information. Okay, so I've got this 
BAA, a business associate agreement. And I'm just full transparency here. That's a new term for me, Sam. So is that something that in your opinion would be sort of something that I really want to have as a, as a provider, if I'm going to be engaging with clients in that professional relationship via email, or is that more of a need? Anecdotally, I can start from that place. Anecdotally, I've, I've noticed that many providers are using a personal account, whether that be at a Hotmail, Outlook, Gmail, Yahoo, whatever you have. But when you ask, is that something that I need? It, it is not a want in my mind. It, it is absolutely a need. When it comes to the, to the legislation around HIPAA and high tech, it's really, really important that we are following the compliance recommendations and, and regulations um, for all medical and mental health providers. And the business associate agreement, like I said, is it's, it's actually usually like a page or just a few pages. And it's a, an agreement saying, yeah, Google will have that information accessible if you are audited by the government because of the work that you do. And it will keep this data secure and safe. And if they don't, that they would be liable on their end. Inversely, if you weren't to, to keep that data safe, you would be liable as well. To circle back then, high tech and HIPAA, these are some of the more important pieces of, of legislation mm -hmm. that are relevant to our conversation here today. Correct. That's when Absolutely. you're saying that phrase, high tech. Could you walk me through what that is really yeah. briefly? Yeah, in 1996, the federal government signed the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act. And this was a legislation that, that was about protecting medical information. After that act was signed, a few years later, high tech came about. High tech was a realization, I think, that many providers are using third parties to store their data. And, and it was a way for the federal government to again be protecting users and helping companies follow these legal regulations in the process. So again, HIPAA is sort of our fundamental law of the land when it comes to privacy and confidentiality, when it comes to medical and mental health information. And high tech helps us work with those third party companies to ensure that we're remaining compliant as per federal uh, regulations. Thanks for clarifying. These are certainly really important pieces of legislation for mental health clinicians to, to be aware of and have working knowledge of. I wanna shift now to focus a little bit more on some of the do's. I've sort of been sounding a bit like an alarmist in this episode so far. I've been panicking about my use of Gmail and you very kindly assured me that that's okay, but you know, under the auspices and, and provisions that, that I think you really eloquently outlined. But let's talk a little bit more about the do's here. So that same scenario, I, I wanna be expanding my repertoire to incorporate these electronic mediums. What are some good steps for me to be taking in that direction? What do I need to do to start? I know we've talked about encryption, researching your technology that you're using, 
But what are are things beyond that, though, that that I could do from your opinion that would be good in terms of the do's? Sure. Well, I want to start with what you've already been talking about there and what we've been mentioning around encryption. Do communicate with clients over an encrypted means and do sign those business associate agreements. There are a couple key terms that I think as providers you should look for. Encryption should be at rest and encryption should be in transit. It's much like it sounds, but to break it down, at rest means that, for instance, if I had a client's data on my phone, that that phone is encrypted, okay? Because that data is there on that phone. I know that it's there and I'm going to protect it. In transit means when I go ahead and type up a client note into a third-party cloud provider that allows me to store notes in the cloud, that that, that information is encrypted in transit, meaning that no third parties, maybe on a public Wi-Fi that you shouldn't be using in the first place, but a Wi-Fi or a, um, some sort of device that's in the middle is less likely to get access to it. Additionally, that company that provides that information or that service should be then encrypting that information at rest as well. The second thing that I would highly recommend is do provide informed consent to your clients about that technology that you're going to use. And and what I mean by that is, is it's essential to give a little bit of education and preparation for how you might use a technology. For instance, I think about text messaging as one of the biggest ones. This is a asynchronous communication. As opposed to the conversation we're having right now, Danny, where you know I would expect you to respond to me nearly immediately if I asked you a question. Otherwise, I would be kind of offended. If of I were to text message you and then wait 15 minutes for a response, I probably wouldn't think anything of it because it's an asynchronous communication tool. And so I think it's really essential that we provide informed consent to our client about how we would be expected to communicate via a technological medium. So if I'm working with a client, it's essential that we're both protecting that person's privacy and confidentiality, considering threats in their life or people that have access to the phone that that person may not want to have, and, and thinking about, hey, if you message me at 10 p.m., that's quite all right, but I may not get back to you until 9 a.m. in the morning. And that's part of the discussion that needs to happen during that informed consent process where some of those guidelines are, are openly processed between the clinician and, and the patient. Absolutely. That's your opportunity. That's your opportunity to acknowledge that you are not the rule bearer for these types of technologies. You didn't create them. You didn't create iMessages or Google's Gmail. And and it's an opportunity for you to acknowledge, I'm working with a third party. I'm working with these technologies and we are sharing and collaborating in this work. It's important that we have an awareness of how those things can affect us. The last thing I would say is do consult with clinicians on this topic. One of the ways that I recommend people take a look at is the APA practice directorate, which used to be, I believe, the APA um, practice organization. And they have a variety of different continuing educations. Additionally, there are conferences from, you know, the 
national like APA to, to smaller regional ones that do feature conversations around technology use and how to better protect your clients' privacy, confidentiality, autonomy, and generally speaking, their, their human rights. I'm sure we could continue this discussion for, for hours, and I've greatly enjoyed the time that we've had today, but I do need to close us out. But let me thank you, Sam, for participating on this episode of The Clinical Consult, brought to you by the National Register of Health Service Psychologists. And let me also remind our listeners that episodes of The Clinical Consult, like this one, are not meant to serve as clinically indicated or formal advice for mental health clinicians and is instead intended as general information and for discussion purposes only.